All right, good morning. First Corinthians chapter, does anybody know what we're on? Chapter 13. Chapter 13. I know, it's been a couple weeks. We did chapter 12 uh, the week before Christmas, and we are on chapter 13 now. Anybody know, this should be an easy question, does anybody know what chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as? Miss Barbara. The love chapter. And I've heard people uh, in the past, and I, I don't know that I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say a uh, pastor, so I think every pastor um, that I've heard preach talks about uh, this word charity as the word love. But I've also heard people say words mean things in the Bible. It's not love, it's charity. So I looked it up, and it is the exact same word that is used for agape love in, in the other parts of the Bible. It is, it is the word love. And um, that word agape is that, that brotherly love, that, uh, that connection that brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ should have. So when I talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, most of the time this is a passage for February, right? And you'll hear, you'll hear messages uh, with passages out of this chapter in February a lot. But I want to, um, we're going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. It's a short chapter, and uh, but there's a lot in here. Um, so I want to pray, and we'll get right into it, all right? Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the good time we've been able to have with family and friends here over these last couple of weeks. God, as we get into this new year, I pray that we'd have goals and, um, and uh, desires that we are trying to make ourselves better. God, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would, uh, just as we uh, get into a new theme and everything for, for this uh, year in our church, God, that we would uh, just have a desire to live for you, to serve you, and to love you, as we'll talk about this morning. God, I pray that you would bless this time we have together, in Jesus' name, amen. So, if you look at chapter 13, uh, it, and I say this a lot, but sometimes it, it kind of seems like these uh, chapters, sometimes passages, land in odd spots. Uh, especially here in 1 Corinthians, and, and we know some of these passages, we've learned them, uh, but when you look at them in context, it almost looks like, man, that's weird. Why would Paul put that here? Now, you got to remember, Paul wrote this letter. There were no breaks like we have in, in chapter divisions and all that. This was a letter to a church, so he wouldn't have had breaks, maybe a paragraph break, but he wouldn't have said, all right, now chapter 13, right? He, he was just maybe starting a new paragraph. And that's why uh, we've seen that word now, chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, he's changing topic. But we don't see that in chapter 13. So why does chapter 13, this, this passage that, when I was in uh, junior high school, 7th uh, and 8th grade, our youth pastor had us memorize this chapter, which seems kind of odd. But the reason we were doing it, it was we were, we were uh, in a series at that time called Manners. And so we took like a whole year to teach 7th and 8th graders how to have good manners. And manners is not just uh, how to sit at the table and eat, you know, and use your napkin and how to use which fork, even though we did go over a little bit of that, believe it or not. But it was more of our, our lifestyle. And, and what we did in chapter 13, we had uh, challenges that we had to do and everything else. 
Um, and one of the challenges we had to do to pass, it was almost like Awanas or what we do with Lighthouse Kids Club. One of the things was you had to do six or eight good things for somebody else. And, and one, of, one of the sections was for teachers. You had to do six things for your teachers. And, and they didn't have to sign it, but you had to write it down and he could go check if he wanted to. And then you had to do six things for your peers, six nice things. So I, I specifically remember like going to one of my friends and, and giving them something that I had bought so that I could pass these sections that we had uh, put together, that he had put together. But we memorized 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that was another one of the sections we had to do. We had to come in and say all 13 of these verses. But what was, I think back on it now, what was he trying to get us to do or to understand? He wasn't, it wasn't for us at that time, it was not the love chapter, even though that's, that's what we called it and everything else. His, the idea was, what are these verses trying to get across? It's how to have brotherly love toward other people, other Christians specifically, that you are in church with or that you are interacting with. So Paul lands this, uh, chapter 13, right here after chapter 12. And do you remember what we said chapters 12 through 14 are about? Does anybody remember? Brother Kevin? It's not Christian liberty. That was 10, and, uh, I think it's 9, 10, 11. 12, remember, we, we started, look at 12 verse 1. We started a new topic. Spiritual gifts. So 12, uh, 12 13, 14 is about spiritual gifts. So, chapter 13, in, in chapter 12, what was the main gift that he, I wouldn't say talked about, but kind of corrected? Does anybody remember that? What was that gift he was correcting? Brother Kevin, it's just you today. Me and you having a conversation. Tongues. So he's, he's correcting tongues in chapter 12, and then talks about a whole bunch of other spiritual gifts. Now, chapter 13, He's not just talking, he is, but he's not just talking about spiritual gifts, but it's very much in that same vein. Now he's saying, you could have all these spiritual gifts, but if you don't do it in an attitude of this agape, brotherly love, it's completely all for naught. So that's where we're at in chapter 13. That's what he's talking about. So start in chapter 13, verse 1. And it's also very interesting. Remember, where did I say tongues is at? Very often on lists of spiritual gifts. Miss Barbara. Last. It's often last. In chapter 13, watch where it lands. It's first. But it's not in a good way. Okay? He's, it's first in this list now. But it's, and I'm not saying that the gift of tongues was always bad. It was a, a miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament. And remember, it had a specific purpose. These, these apostles, many of them spoke Greek. Well, you had, you had so many different nationalities that came together, and I'm, this is not a lesson on tongues again, but I want to review why tongues was important. It was so that a preacher could get up and preach in his language, and all these other people could hear it in their language. It was a miracle. There's nothing we ever see today. Now I believe what tongues is, when it is used right and when it is used, is a translation. And, and pastor went to Romania a few years ago on a mission trip. They used tongues, so to speak. They had a translator there. He would say a phrase in English, translator would translate it into Romanian or whatever their language is, and then he would say another phrase and they would translate. That is the gift of tongues. That translator then in our day would have that gift of tongues. He is able to learn other languages 
to be able to take what, the, what someone is speaking in English, a, a mystery that he's uncovering in the word of God, if you want to call it that, and let everybody else know. Because he could stand there for two hours speaking in English and they would get nothing from it because they don't understand what he's saying. So that's the gift of tongues now. Someone who's able to understand languages easily or learn them easily. Okay, so chapter 13, he talks about tongues first. And I think the reason why is because the Corinthian church was so, uh, so set on speaking in tongues that they were even willing to do it wrong. Remember, we saw that in chapter 12 for the sake of being able to speak in tongues. And he, and he brings it up first, chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So first sentence out of his mouth, or first sentence on paper, I guess, in chapter 13, verse 1, is talking about tongues again. And he's saying, okay, so maybe you do speak in tongues. Maybe you do have that gift, and I'm not saying it's a bad gift to have. But he brings it up first. If you speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, you'll become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What he's saying is you could be taking one of these mysteries. Remember what we said the mysteries in, in the Bible were? They're just truths of God's word that a natural man does not understand. You take one of these mysteries in the Bible and you preach it or you expound on it. Or uh, uh, I was reading Matthew Henry. He said, could a man speak all the languages on earth and that with the greatest propriety, elegance, and fluency? Could he talk like an angel and yet be without charity? It's all empty noise. And that's, that's what he's saying here. You could have the gift of tongues. You could be the best orator out there. But if you're not doing it in an in a attitude of love to help others, it's all for naught. Now, uh, what would... what? I, I was thinking about this. There are pastors who, and I, I would say pastors, maybe evangelists would be a better word or whatever, but they can preach, you know, they, they can come to a church and just lay it out there, let you have it. But if that, if that sermon is not preached with, with an attitude of love, it's falling on deaf ears. It really is. Because when somebody, uh, you know, take a personal example. If you, uh, you know, on Thursday, got into a big old argument with somebody at work or in your family. How about how about your your husband, your wife? Uh, and, and you get in a big argument and then you get up and you give the best sermon on Sunday morning that you could have uh, that you've ever heard. What is that? What is that wife feeling? Is she going, wow, what a great sermon? No, she's thinking still in her mind, man, he, he's 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 it's all an act because she remembers what happened on Thursday. All right. Now, Take it away from husband and wife. Maybe it is guys at work and, you know, you're screaming and hollering at them because they're not doing something right. And then they find out that you are a preacher or, or whatever. It doesn't even have to be a preacher, but maybe you come back to them and you say, you know, hey, this thing in the Bible that I found and you and you talk to them about it and they're remembering how you treated them. It falls on deaf ears. That's what he's saying here in, in chapters, uh, chapter 13, verses one through Seven. He's, he's talking about this, if it's not done in an attitude of love. Now, Paul is more specifically talking about in the church uh, than he is about our, our worldly relationships, but it does still work that way uh, as well. I've told you before, there's, you know, there's guys at work with me that, you know, they're in church every Sunday and they've got some of the dirtiest mouths at work. That testimony is ruined 
Uh, it, who, nobody cares that you go to church every Sunday. They care about how it, how it is acted out in your life. That's what they care about. So he says in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And we're going to roll through these verses. They're all very similar, but he brings up a little bit different topic on each one. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Think about this. Uh, this brotherly love, this charity, is, is very much a gift. Um, but it's maybe more of a, a grace that someone possesses. These other ones are gifts, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Those are the truths of the Bible. I understand all the truths, all the doctrines of the Bible. I understand them, and I can teach them. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and we'll hear, we hear this preached when faith is preached on. Anybody ever seen a mountain move? It doesn't mean you don't have faith if you haven't seen a mountain move, but the Bible talks about it in Mark. If you have the faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you could, see, you could say to this mountain, move, if you needed it to, and it would move. And then Paul says, if you have that kind of faith and you had seen mountains move and don't have this brotherly love, this charity, I am nothing. I think Paul's sort of preaching to himself here too. Paul's very useful in the New Testament, right? These missionary journeys, all these churches that have started, you'll see that in all these New Testament books, uh, Romans, Corinthians, uh, Galatians, these are all uh, letters to these churches that Paul had started. So Paul's kind of preaching to himself here a little bit too. Though I have all that faith and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and don't have charity, I'm nothing. It's, it's literally useless. Um, let's see. Pen decides to work when it when it feels like that's the only problem with technology. All right, so uh, verse three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Which then goes to say, it's very obvious now that this charity he's talking about is not just a benevolence, just a, a oh I feel bad for the poor, I'm going to give them money. That's what we think of charity now, right? We even call it, on a tax deduction, charitable giving. Uh, but that's not the charity he's talking about, because look at verse 3, he says that. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Most people would be, would be thrilled to have somebody do that. And it is good. And though I give my body to be burned, even though I would go to the stake, we burned at the stake for the name of Christ, and I don't do it out of charity, out of a love for God and a love for his people, it profiteth me Nothing. So that, that kind of asks, begs the question, could someone be a martyr for Christ and not go to heaven? Absolutely. I mean, you could die for many different reasons. And, and uh, I was reading Matthew Henry on this too. He said somebody could be so convinced that they're doing good things for God. Remember, Bible says, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? And what will he say if, they, if they're not truly born again? Depart from me, I never knew you. So could someone lay down their life for the cause of Christ in martyrdom and, and not go to heaven? Yeah, I believe so. And that's what Paul is saying here. Verse, uh, verse, end of verse three. Though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. This is not just a brotherly love for the church. 
It's a love and a devotion to Christ himself. And I want you to, I was going to say this a little bit later, but I want you to think about this and maybe even write it in your Bible. Because I believe that uh, we'll see this starting in verse 4, a description of what charity actually is. So verses 1 through 3, he's saying, if you don't have charity, all these things mean nothing. So then what is charity? What, what does charity do? And, and it's, this is a uh, good thing. I wrote, I wrote this in my Bible. Change the, the word charity for the word God. Je- Jesus, the Bible says, God is love. So God is love personified. He is this charity that chapter 13 is talking about. And if you change the word charity for his name, look what it does. God suffereth long and is kind. God envieth not. God vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up. Change that word. And I'm not saying we're going to change it for good, but, but put God's name in there. He is this charity personified that we are then trying to emulate, trying to uh, follow All right, so verse 4, we're going to get into what uh, this charity is. Charity suffereth long is the first one. And I I have a lot of quotes from Matthew Henry just because he says it so well that there's no reason to rewrite it. So a lot of this is from Matthew Henry that I've picked and and, uh, chosen. But he says this, this is long-suffering charity. It can endure evil Injury and provocation without being filled with resentment, indignation, or revenge. How many of us can do that? When somebody hurts you, it's on, right? I'm, I'm coming for you. How many of you ever heard that or said that? I'm coming for you. Because we, don't, we do not like to get hurt and just be like, it's fine. That's charity, though, especially from our brothers, from our, from our fellow Christians. It can be... Uh, Endure evil, injury, and provocation without being filled with resentment, indignation, or revenge. It is a persevering patience that will rather wait and wish for the reformation of a brother than fly out in resentment of his conduct. And lastly, he says this, it will put up with many slights and neglects from the person it loves and wait long to see, that kind, to see the kindly effects of the patience he shows him. So that's long-suffering. Uh, we see that word in other places in the Bible, and it means the same thing here. He suffers long. He'll be hurt and hurt again and hurt again and hurt again without lashing out to hurt back. Um, that's brotherly kindness. That's, that's this brotherly love, uh, this charity. It is kind, still in verse 4. It is kind. Uh, she seeks to be useful and not only see. this is interesting, not only seizes on an opportunity of doing good, but searches for them. That's kindness. So uh, we don't, it, uh, this, this, this love doesn't just, oh, there's a chance to do good. It looks for it. How can I do this? And that's what I was talking about. Our youth pastor was trying to teach us. Go look for ways to help others, to be kind to others. Don't just, when, when the opportunity happens, take it. That's good. But go look for ways to make those opportunities happen it is kind that's what this kindness is it's not just uh oh they're soft-spoken oh they're uh nice to people because i've seen lots of people nice and you turn around and they are they are not nice right they they're nice to your face uh but they're not they're not being kind they're 
being nice so there is no confrontation. But true kindness searches for opportunities uh, to be useful, to be, to be kind. Um, and we're going to keep on moving along. Charity envieth not. It's exactly what it sounds like. When somebody gets something nice, you're not envious of that. You're happy for them. And we'll see that uh, in, in another um, place uh, down, down, down the line. But uh, envieth not. You're not envious of other people. And this is a, there's nothing new in this, it, that I'm saying this morning. We've, we've heard this, but it's a reminder for us that if we don't have this charity, so think about all these things, starting in verse 4, if we don't suffer long, if we are not kind, if we are envious of others, and on down the line, we don't have charity, and we are completely useless. I mean, he said that in verses 1 through 3. You could give your body to be burned, and if you're not doing these things, it, it, it profiteth me nothing, he says at the end of verse 3. All right? So keep that in mind. These are not new things. These are a challenge for us. Uh, if you find yourself coming to church and you see a face and you go, oh, I, I can't stand that person. They're so annoying. Or whatever the reason is. Maybe they have hurt you. That's what, we're, that's what he's teaching here. Because remember, the Corinthians, were, they were at each other's throats. They had four different factions believing, not necessarily believing four different things, but they had their leader that they were following. And you can imagine the, if, if, if they're saying in a church, I'm following this guy, they're not just going, ah, those guys are fine. We're going to leave them alone. They're, they're after each other. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Charity, this, this spiritual gift, so to speak, this spiritual grace of brotherly love. So charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? What is vaunteth not itself? Miss Barbara. Yeah, it's pride. It doesn't step on other people on the way up the ladder, all right? It's not so proud that at the, at the expense of somebody else, it's going to get to this spot. And it doesn't just mean climbing a corporate ladder. It means, you know, making fun of someone else. And we teach Emma this. When you're making fun of someone else, it's because you're trying to make yourself look better than that person. That's vaunting. That's vaunting yourself. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't do that. Is not puffed up. And that goes right along with vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. It's not conceited. It's not uh, sticking your nose in the air to make yourself look so much better than someone else. Charity doesn't do that. Uh, and then verse, getting into verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. What does that mean? That's not really a word we use often. We do, you will see it used, but it's not used often, unseemly. But what it's saying is it, uh, charity, this brotherly love, always acts right in the right circumstances. All right? Um, and it always acts right. It doth not behave itself unseemly. Think about this. And, and so this is where I go back to put, put God or Christ in, in place of this charity. Was any time you see in the New Testament God or Jesus Christ interacting with anybody else, he always, obviously, he's perfect, but he always reacts the right way. When the Pharisees come after him to try to pin him in, he almost jokingly turns it over on them and they walk away. He doesn't attack them, typically. Um, sometimes he does when, when they just will not 
uh, listen to what he's saying. He, he'll go after them, but he's not attacking them. Uh, ver, doth not behave itself unseemly. When Jesus Christ was at the, at the well, he reacts to that uh, Samaritan woman the perfect way, only the way Christ could, and that's what he's trying to teach us here. Um, Matthew Henry says this, Charity behaves with reverence and respect to superiors and kindness and condescension to inferiors with courtesy and goodwill towards all men. Whatever their status is, whatever your status is, those beneath you reacts with kindness and courtesy. Those, with, those above you, respect and, uh, and reverence. It's always acting right in whatever circumstance it's in. Uh, do you know anybody like that where... Uh, um, they just always seem maybe not even necessarily have the right answer but they just somebody that's level headed that's not just a personality sometimes it's this spiritual gift of charity where they just always you know when, when I'm trying not to be specific but there have been times when you know maybe somebody in another church uh, another pastor or something like that starts to lead a group of people, you know, other pastors, and they, they start to have these divisions. It's easy to attack that person and, and, and show how wrong they're being. It's hard to behave yourself unseemly and have the right attitude towards them, the right answer, the right, um, be able to react in the right way. It's hard. And I would say uh, for laymen, which I am, Attacking a man of God is very, very dangerous. And I don't mean our pastor. I mean even another pastor. Now, there's a difference between a man of God and a false teacher. And you have to know the difference. And a lot of that is, is our pastor's job to show us which ones are which. But when there is a man of God that might maybe step out of line in our mind a little bit, but he's still preaching truth, he, but he steps out of line, and it'd be careful not to go attacking them. Uh, re reacts with reverence and respect to superiors. Those are men of God. Be careful. All right. Charity uh, isn't, well, let's, let's move along. Let's see. Be, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Uh, charity is an enemy to selfishness. And we're going to move, move quickly here. We're, we're doing well, but we're getting close to time. Charity is an enemy to selfishness. And Matthew Henry says this, uh, does not inordinately desire nor seek its own praise, honor, profit, or pleasure. And I feel like churches might be a breeding ground for that, unfortunately. I'm not saying in the corporate world it's not that. But there's so many people, you know. But I think a church sometimes can be a breeding ground for that. Almost a fight for, the, for uh, recognition or a fight for uh, a position. It should not be that way. It's an enemy to selfishness, always regarding someone else above them. That doesn't mean somebody who's unqualified saying, yeah, yeah, you go do that instead of me uh, because I have charity. But, you know, two people that are, are equally qualified, whatever, they're not fighting for that position because you've seen that. If you've been in a big church at all, you've seen that. Uh, you know, they're looking for a deacons or they're looking for some position to be filled and people get to fight and almost like, like they're applying for a job. It shouldn't be that way. Um, and then he says this. And this is, this is an interesting point. A reasonable love of self is recognized by our Savior because he even says this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So God, Christ recognized we love ourselves. 
He even says in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians, that the husband should love his wife as he loves him, as he loves himself. For and he says, for no man ever yet hated himself. So Christ knew we like we like to take care of ourselves, but charity uh, is not selfish in in that sense. So this is what Matthew Henry says here. Uh, the apostle does not mean that charity destroys all regard to yourself. He does not mean that the charity must then root up. Uh, he does not mean that the charitable man should never challenge what is his own. This is this is the point. Charity then roots up that principle which is wrought into our very nature and seeketh not its own. Interesting point that Matthew Henry said, but that's what Paul is saying here. It's so natural to, uh, to survive or to make yourself comfortable. Charity doesn't do that. It looks to put others in that comfortable spot, in that uh, to help others. So, uh, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. That one is pretty self-explanatory. Not easily provoked. Uh, some people, pastor was just talking about this in, in the family class, you know, uh, siblings know exactly which buttons to put, push to provoke, right? To make, them, make somebody fly off the handle and get themselves into trouble. Uh, charity is not easily provoked. So not only does it not do that to others, it's go ahead, push those buttons. I'm, I'm not going to be provoked because of the love that I have for my brother. Uh, thinketh no evil. That one's pretty self-explanatory too, but we don't attribute motives to why somebody did something, uh, which is the natural tendency to do. That's human nature. I know exactly why they did that, because they're trying to get that position. Or I know exactly why, because they're trying to act like uh, they're not hurt by what they did to me, but I know why they're, doing, why they're being nice to me. They're trying to, it doesn't, it doesn't think evil. It doesn't attribute motive to someone else. Uh, and I, I think maybe sometimes if we just minded our own business, I don't mean ignore everybody when you walk into church, but stay out of everybody else's business, we would be a lot uh, better off. It would be a lot easier to do these things. Um, all right, so verse uh, 6. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Uh it doesn't rejoice, not just to see somebody fail, but to see, and this is pretty self-explanatory too, but it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. And that means two things, in the church, but it also doesn't seek out wickedness in, in personal lives. In our personal lives, it rejoiceth not in iniquity. In fact, it hates iniquity. It hates that sin, but it rejoiceth in the truth. It loves to see the truth of the gospel being accepted, being spread. Uh, that's why we are so happy when we get reports from Nitin. Uh, this, is a, this is a perfect example of what Paul would be talking about uh, in verse 5. or uh, Let's see. Yeah, verse 5. Thinketh no evil, doesn't attribute motive. It would be very easy, or it could be easy, to say, I know why Nitin's doing that, or especially missionaries in general. I know why they're saying so many people were uh, saved this month. Because they're trying to have a good prayer letter so they can keep getting support. That's thinking evil. That's attributing motive to why they're doing something. But rejoiceth in the truth is, man, I'm so glad Nitin is able to tell these others about Christ. The, the truth is going out in India uh, where we could never touch them, and he's able to, to talk with them. So rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And there's so much here. Uh, but beareth all things. He bears the burden, the, the, the 
the weight of other people. Uh, and other places in the New Testament say that. We should bear, bear you one another's burdens. Uh, that's what this is talking about. Beareth all things. Um, it also could mean that um, when somebody confides in you, it doesn't end up uh, going around the whole church. And, and they find it. They bear these things. They're able to keep a streaker or, or a prayer that somebody's asking for. Uh, they're able to bear that. Uh, believeth all things. That doesn't mean, oh, he said it. It must be true. Believeth all things means believes the best, believes the best in people. Um, you know, doesn't hear somebody say, yeah, I did this or this is why I did this and then go trying to do research to figure out if he's lying or not. Uh, believeth all things, hopeth all things and endureth all things. Hopeth all that things, I believe, is hopes the best for, for uh, one another. Endureth all things, knows how to handle and suffer, uh, knows how to handle suffering and persecution. Um, we don't have a lot of persecution here. But we do have some suffering. We get sick. Uh, we have several dealing with cancer. We have some dealing with other, you know, critical, life-threatening diseases. Charity is able to handle that. and doesn't lash out. You ever hear these old stories where, you know, this lady's just old and cratchety because she's, she's sick. So she lashes out at everybody. That's, that's the opposite of charity. Charity <clears throat> endureth all things. All right, now quickly. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So why is this brotherly love so important? Because verse 8, charity never faileth. Charity is going to be here for eternity. Even when we get to heaven, it'll be different, but it'll be uh, this brotherly love, this love for Christ. Charity will never fail. Uh, but it says, the, all these other spiritual gifts will pass away. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. What is he talking about there? Because verse 11 correlates exactly to this. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. What he's talking about there is there is no pastor who knows everything about the Bible. The Bible is a living book. And so we're always learning new things. We're always able to apply it in different situations. And it means or applies a different way. We only know in part, and we only prophesy in part. If we knew everything, we would be God himself, right? So we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, which who is that? When Jesus Christ comes back. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That which is in part is all these spiritual gifts. They're gifts. They're super useful, but they're not, they're not the... Perfection. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And then he uses two examples. Verse 11 is just an example of what he's been saying in verse 9 and 10. Because this is a weird spot for this verse. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We understand that. But why, does that, why is that here? He's, he's uh, referencing verses 9 and 10. When you're a child, there are things that you obviously don't even know that you don't know, right? Uh, we just had a kid, and hopefully he's not listening. If he is, hey, it's his mistake uh, for, for making this mistake. But it's, it's nothing. I won't mention his name or anything. But what happened is we got, had all this really, really cold weather. He's 19 years old. They put him on our drill rig. It's a directional boring machine. And so they use water to blast out the, the ditch in front of this boring rod. When it got five degrees... You have to winterize it or it's going to break everything to pieces. 
He's 19 years old. He's never had to winterize anything. He made a phone call. They said, yes, winterize it. You know how to do it. Yep, I know how to do it. He added eight gallons of antifreeze to the 1,000-gallon water tank and thought it was winterized. It wasn't, right? Somebody who's 30 years old and been doing this for 10 years looks at that and knows that's not right. But a 19-year-old thought he did it right. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. When I was a child, I just went through my life, you know, clueless, really. When I became a man, I put away childish things. He's not just, not just saying I stopped acting like a kid. He's saying I understood so much more. All right, that's just an example so that we can correlate it in our minds. But he's saying when we get to heaven, all of this stuff that we kind of sort of understand, we think we understand, our mind's going to be clear. Verse uh, 12 is the same, same way. For now we see through a glass darkly. We sort of understand it, but not really. It's sort of, it's, it's tinted in our minds. But then when we see Christ, it'll be face to face. We will, uh, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am. I'm going to know perfectly what all these mysteries in the Bible we're talking about. Uh, so all these gifts are good. They're great. Uh, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Why? Because even if we don't completely understand everything, we don't have the gift, the spiritual gift of prophecy and understanding and all of that. If we have charity, it, it covers so much. What does the Bible say? Love covereth a multitude of sins. That's what it's talking about. We can have many imperfect people in this church, but if we all in this church have that charity that we're able to be hurt without hurting back, we're able to overlook somebody's mistakes, that doesn't mean sin, doesn't mean we say, ah, he's in sin, but it's fine. It means we're able to overlook mistakes, honest mistakes, but something maybe somebody doesn't understand. When we have disagreements on maybe, you know, an interpretation of something in the Bible, we're not mad at each other. We are graceful, and this charity, this, this brotherly love says, that's fine. I mean, I, I might be wrong, right? So as we say in here in verse 13, now abideth faith, hope. Faith is a big thing. Faith is what gives us that belief that we, we are going to heaven when we die because we've accepted Christ. That hope, that's huge. That hope that we're going to go to heaven. It doesn't mean a, man, I hope this happens. It means this hope that we are able to look forward to. He's saying charity is even greater than both of those because it's never going to pass us away that he says in verse 8 charity never faileth it's something that we will have from here through eternity and we need to get practicing on it now because it is what keeps a church together it is what unites a body of believers and and because i mean i remember being in the dorm in college four guys in, in a room and it was like you know knock down drag out sometimes why because four people being that close that often, it's hard, all right? Now you have families. Families, there are knockdown drag out sometimes because a group of people being that close that often is difficult. And he's saying the same thing is in a church. If we have this brotherly love, this charity, we can make all of that kind of smooth over by, by making sure we have this. Without it, end of verse three, it profiteth me nothing. Anything we do, any service, any preaching, any, anything we do, is no profit if it's not done out of this brotherly love. All right? Hopefully that's a help. Carry that through you, with you this new year. I told you 1 Corinthians is very, very relevant to the New Testament church, and it is to us. This charity is extremely relevant. We must have it. All right? Let's pray. We'll be done and get ready for the next service.
Father, again, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I pray that you would help us as a church, as individuals. I pray that you'd help me to really focus on this brotherly love. God, it's, it's so important. It's required, uh, not just necessary. It's required for a Christian to have it. Without it, all of our service, all of our work, everything that we do is, is completely unprofitable. And I pray that we would uh, not just try to have it, but we would, would ask you for the help. Uh, in cultivating this this charity that you tell us to have. Pray that you bless this next hour. Be with our pastor as he uh, uh, presents this new theme for the year to us. And I pray that we'd be excited about it. Pray that you'd help him as he preaches. Give him power. Give him wisdom. And I pray that you give us a good uh, service this next hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And we're dismissed. <laughs>